Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Kelly Wisness. Hi, this is Kelly Wisness. Welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Today, we're joined by Mary Devine, Bessler's Vice President of Revenue Integrity, who's going to discuss discharge dispositions and readmissions with us. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you for having me. And we're just going to jump right into it today. I know uh, that CMS Medicare readmissions rule came out in uh, 2012. Can you give us a little refresher on that rule and how it works? Oh, certainly. So um, the hospital readmissions reduction program known as HRP, I'm not sure which is easier to say, um, it was designed to be a Medicare value-based purchasing program um, and it was really focused on improving care coordination. And it also really wanted to involve patients and caregivers in discharge planning. They felt that this was really not um, something that the patients or the family was involved in um, in the past. And they really wanted to change that, thinking that it would change the outcomes of um, the patient's health and ultimately reducing avoidable readmissions. Um, and this was really a coordination with the government's goal to improve health care for Americans by uh, what they tried to do was tie the payment to the quality of hospital care. So in 2013, it started with just three diagnoses, readmission measures. So it was um, acute myocardial infarction, um, heart failure, and then pneumonia. And so what would happen is for any patients that were readmitted within 30 days of those three diagnoses for any reason, um, and they all assume it to be un unplanned, um, the hospital was at risk for a, a penalty against all readmissions, not just those three. So um, it went well, just as it always does. If you think about the transfer rule, it started with 10 DRGs and moved to 283. So in typical CMS fashion, they went ahead, and in 2015, they added um, COPD, and then they added a total hip and a total knee. So um, those were added to the measures. And then finally, um, the cabbage was added for the cardiac bypass graft. And so now that is all there is. And then pneumonia, they they kind of stepped back a little bit on, but it is still one of them. So the payment penalty is, it, it's somewhat complicated and I, I'm not really gonna go into it. That's not really the full intent of, of what we're talking about today. But um, it takes a provider's readmissions percentages as compared to their peers in the same area. And then it applies a percentage reduction to develop the excessive readmissions ratio and applies that to all readmissions, um, not just to the excess. So the and the maximum reduction is 3%. So the um, readmissions ratio would be 90, 97%. So they, they would time that 97% times all the all the readmissions and that would be your reduction in payment. And and that's pretty much how it's how it's been since when it was rolled out in 2013. Great. Well thank you for that that very thorough review. Um, when calculating the reduction and readmission ratio, what patient data is reviewed? So, you know, that's really a great question. And due to the, um, the pandemic and COVID, some of that has somewhat changed. So typically before the pandemic, they were planning on using three years worth of data. And that would be from July to June 
for three years worth, and then it would go into effect in the October, starting with the fiscal year. But for 2022, again, because of uh, the pandemic and, um, you know, some of the, the lack of health care or the health care purely focused on COVID, they um, cut it down to only 29 months. So they use the data from 717 up through 12119 for 2022, which went into effect 10121. And for 2023, they're going to go back to the three years, and that will be 7118 through 63021. Um, and after the data is gathered and the calculations are done, prov providers will receive a report, and they have 30 days to review the calculations and send in corrections um, based on the calculations. You cannot argue the readmissions. You, that is not what the intent is. You can look at the calculations, and you can argue the calculations. You can't correct anything else about that data sheet that you receive. Um, and so really to talk about how much a CMS is recovering and uh, with the hospital read reduction program, kind of jumping into it, um, over the 10 years, the readmissions reduction program has been ex in existence. There have been 2,920 hospitals that have been penalized. That represents 93% of all acute facilities. And so again, in, in complete CMS fashion, of course that's that's working well and it's, it's going to be continued. And they're estimating for 2022, they're gonna um, save $521 million with based on the calculations that they go through. Wow, that is significant. Um, thank you for all of that information. Um, you mentioned discharge dispositions. How do they impact readmissions? So, and, and I think that's kind of a, a tricky question. So the discharge disposition doesn't really um, impact the readmission penalties. So um, I'm sorry, the discharge disposition does not impact the, dis the readmission penalties, and they don't consider the discharge status codes when they look at readmissions. They, they purely marry up a patient that was admitted and marry it if there were look to see if that patient was readmitted at all, and then they would go from that, not considering the, the discharge disposition. However, um, we know that, first off, the, the discharge disposition certainly would impact your potentially your DRG payment with the um, transfer rule. And all acute transfers or admissions are on the same day, planned or unplanned, or can be impacted by the transfer rule depending on the length of stay. And so in 2013, kind of soon after they put in the readmissions, they added the additional 15 discharge status codes regarding planned readmissions to acute care, SNF, and home care. And speaking of, of just the acute care, as, as this is um, what we're talking about today, that would be a discharge status code 82. That says to CMS um, and to, to Medicare that, hey, this patient has a planned readmission. And what they were really trying to track was purely myocardial infarctions with that. They want to know, you know, what happens to that patient? Did the patient come back in with, with, an, with an MI again that was unplanned? Or did you know that patient was coming in for some more cardiac work? Um, but again, that discharge status code 82 does not count from a readmission perspective. They don't say, oh, this patient was planning to come back in. It's an 82. I'm not going to count it in your readmissions. That, that's not what happens. But it does give providers um, the knowledge and the ability to see how many of those patients themselves before they get that um, 
that penalty to know how many of their patients were planned or not planned from a readmission perspective. And then they can do some some um, corrective action if needed on their end, you know, or, and, and then the other thing that was argued, it, let's not just use it for myocardium infarction, but let's use it for all. So they did expand it to all, not just for the, um, the myocardium infarctions. Um, and then hospitals can then again, try and work with that discharge status code to do some data mining and figure out where they really need to target some of their readmissions. Again, did they know they were coming in or did they not? Um, but I think it's important to understand that CMS requires providers to apply the new discharge status codes correctly. And um, additionally, the American Health Information Management Association, HIMA, really has promoted standards of ethical coding that require accurate coding. Um, that includes, you know, a present on admission indicator and the discharge status codes, and they should not be taken any lighter than a diagnosis code or um, any of the ICD-10 codes for that matter. Um, and these are required for external reporting and reimbursement and other administrative uses. Um, and they must be completely accurate and in accordance with regulatory and documentation standards and requirements. Um, and in addition to that, the Medicare program integrity initiatives closely monitor for inaccurate coding. And that would include um, as it relates to the discharge status codes. Wow, that is such valuable information. Um, it's really evident that you know a lot about this, Mary. Um, one more thing. Do you have any recommendations on readmissions and discharge disp disposition? Uh, certainly. So providers should, as I'm sure they are right now, take take the intent of hospital readmissions reduction um, to the intent that it was designed. You know, it's designed to care of the patient and Followed, you know, patients should be followed from a post-discharge perspective and involve um, the patients and the families in making sure that patients are actually getting what they should get. And some of this was um, focused on the fact that um, patients from an economic perspective, the patients that couldn't afford their medication or couldn't afford some of that post-acute care weren't getting it. So they did change the um, readmissions reduction a little bit based on your volume of uh, dually eligible from a Medicare Medicaid. But again, you know, hospitals should certainly focus on the care of their patients post-discharge. Um, and then I also think um, from a discharge status perspective, you really want to make sure that your uh, codes are accurate and accurately reflect what happened to that patient post-discharge or, or was their intent for them to come back or not to the hospital. Um, and again, they those discharge dispositions will impact your reimbursement today and those readmissions will impact your discharges in, in three years. So you just want to be real careful about both of them. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this great information with us today, Mary. We really appreciate you being here. Great. Thanks for having me. And don't miss Mary's related webinar that she is presenting live on July 14th. You can register for that webinar on our website, bestler.com. The webinar recording and corresponding slides will also be available on our website after the webinar. Thank you for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. This concludes our episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help protect and optimize revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. 
Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.